All right, what's up, guys? Matt and Connor coming to you live from the Caesars Palace Sportsbook. We will be here all week, Connor, with some amazing guests. Uh, we have a good one today that we've had a lot of fun already getting to know. Former Miami Hurricanes running back Clinton Portis, one of my favorite backs uh, to come out the last 20 years, which is crazy to think we're old enough to say 20 years now. But we've already been talking to Clinton for like an hour, getting to know each other backstage, and we've had a lot of fun. So we're going to talk to him today, but we're also going to hit the big news that's affecting the NFL and college football because the AP Top 10 came out this morning, and I have some problems with it. Yeah, it's uh, it always causes a stir, and I think you know we're going to go through the Top 5, Top 10, what we agree with, what we don't agree with. But going back to having Clinton Portis on the show, who per- more perfect when you look at a guy in an era where running back contracts are a conversation every single week now, mega contracts. Clinton Portis been there, done that. So just having him speak to the Ezekiel Elliott situation, this Cowboys situation is going to be really interesting. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Let's start right there. Jerry Jones, love or hate him, right? Jerry is, Jerry gonna Jerry. Jerry is like the godfather running the NFL right now. And Jerry was asked by beat reporters about Zeke Elliott, and he said, Zeke who? Uh, number 21, the best running back maybe in football. The focal Def- point of your team. Definitely the guy that is the wheel that makes your offense go. Now, Zeke has held out. He's been at Cabo, but he's actually back. He flew home from Cabo on Saturday. Uh, all reports are he looks good. He's in the low 220s, which is where he was coming out of Ohio State. So it, it seems like he's back to where they expect him to be. But he's not on the team yet. Now, on the other side of that, Dak Prescott is with the team. He has not held out. Amari Cooper, even though dealing with a foot injury, has been with the team. Zeke has stayed away. If you're Zeke and his reps, how pissed are you at Jerry right now? Well, they came out and said it. They're really pissed. The exact word used to describe the situation was that they feel disrespected, Matt. And you have to understand that. For somebody that has at times carried that offense over the last couple of years, I understand people love Dak Prescott. Mark Cooper was phenomenal since he got there last year. That offense is Zeke Elliott's offense, and that's why they're making the power play. I don't think anyone was ready for him to hold out this summer. I think we were expecting that next summer. So when you look at the Zeke situation, I mean, of course he feels disrespected. Contract negotiations have not gone well. It has a lot of people that are in this casino right now probably nervous to draft him in fantasy football. Or to bet on the Cowboys. 100%. We're going to talk about the next man up there, Tony Pollard, in just a little bit. So... You don't like when scary situations that I'm sure Dallas fans right now are on edge about get a little bit worse when uh, Jerry's going to be Jerry, right? I'm sure it was a lighthearted kind of comment. But nonetheless, if you have not only an unhappy running back as a financial situations, now he feels disrespected. Where is the situation going? Yeah, I actually hope that this is just Jerry being Jerry and he knows that a deal is like basically done. And so he just wants to like poke the media a little yeah. bit, make all of us freak out for a couple of days. Great drama. And then Wednesday, when you and I are recording a new podcast, we'll be talking about Zeke being the highest paid running back in football. I wouldn't be shocked because it's Jerry. And if it were Stephen Jones who said it or Will McClay, I might be like, ooh, that's a bad look. But because it's Jerry, I don't know. I feel like it could just be crazy. I have one simple question to ask you before we get into the college football top 25, top 10 talk. Can this Cowboys team survive with Tony Pollard at running no. back? It's no, simple as that, yeah, right? there's no way. I and like he's a Tony, good player. Liked Tony Pollard a lot. He's a, a utility back who could do a lot of different things. Uh, if you're talking about fantasy football, yeah, he's going to catch a ton of passes out of the backfield. That's what he was at Memphis. But Memphis had a running back, Darrell Henderson, who was the dude. Tony Pollard was just an add-on to that offense. So I think if you mix in Mike Weber, Alfred Morris, like maybe you can get by. But 
more than any team in the NFL, maybe other than the New York Giants, Ezekiel Elliott is this offense. I mean, he sets everything up for Dak. He sets everything up for the passing game. Now, I know having Travis Frederick back is huge at center. Having Connor Williams in year two at left guard is huge. But this is still a team that is really run by the run game. So I like Tony Pollard. I know they've been very supportive of him internally. I don't. He's not Zeke. And that's no disrespect. He's just not. There aren't very many dudes who are. I was just going to ask, how many people in the NFL are on that level of Ezekiel? It's, you can count Saquon, them on one hand. And Saquon, we don't even know if Le'Veon's going to get back to that this Saquon. year. I wouldn't say Todd Gurley is because he's hurt. It's honestly like Saquon, Zeke, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey. Like Those sure four list. guys are the ones that you feel like they're impactful enough to give you a ton offensively. And you mentioned fantasy football. Those should be the first four picks in any fantasy draft if, if Zeke is back. Like Those are your top four dudes, whether it's Saquon and Zeke. Or if Zeke is committed you know he might go first but it's it's a very small list for me i mean i'm with you all the way i think we're gonna move on because yeah. we don't want to make any more dallas fans upset right yeah on. i don't need dallas fans trying to fight me this week it's, it's gonna be a long week we're gonna be here and and we don't have any <clears throat> excuse me we don't have any cowboys players coming to hang out with us this week so let's and just and we're gonna ask clinton portis about this too because he's gonna have some tremendous thoughts on what it's like being a running back, you know, moving on maybe to a new team, maybe not yeah. moving on and getting that contract. Yeah, let's get into the college football top 10, though, because I am frankly upset. Just, I just I'm just going to say it. I'm mad. I don't know how voters come up with this list. It's like they're just this is a Texas this thing. Is, this is, is it? No, it's not just a Texas thing, but it's a little bit of a Texas thing. This is like the NFL top 100 players where the list comes out and you're like, are you fucking serious? Like. Who did this list? Did they watch football last year? So let's go right through it. And what's got you the most mad? Well, Starting from number one down. One down, I'm fine. Clemson, they yep. were the returning national champs. You still have Trevor Lawrence. You still have Justin Ross and T. Higgins. I'm okay with that. You're the best until someone beats you. If you want to do that, I'm cool with it. Alabama at two. I feel like that's 1A, 1B. Alabama's Alabama. They, they have to be in the top two until someone proves them otherwise. I'm even okay with three and four. That's Georgia and Oklahoma. If you ask me the four best teams of football, that's probably where I would start. Number five is actually where I'm going to start my issues. Ohio State at number five with a first-year quarterback that we've barely seen. Barely seen. He's really good, though. He, he could really be. Really talented. But, you know, like we were just talking about Mike Weber. They lost Mike Weber. They lost Paris Campbell. They lost Scary Terry. Like they, this team lost a lot. I know Nick Bosa didn't contribute last year, but you're, you're also losing Draymond Jones. You're losing dudes in the secondary. They are Ohio State, and they reload very well. I think them at five speaks to the lack of parity in college football right now. So my question is, do you think they're just overrated on the grand scale or they're not the best team in the Big Ten? They're the best team in the Big okay. Ten. That's not saying much. That's a, no, I think that's not. a low bar. And, and that's where I'm, if Ohio State's five, it's like, OK, th- this is not a great year for power teams in college football. How in the hell is LSU six? They have no offense. Yeah, it's at all. And look at the schedule they have to play in the. They're going to lose three games. We, we're starting to do this every year, where we have really talented teams in the top ten. But at the end of the day, they don't stand a chance to hang around in that top ten because they're going to cancel each other out at some point. Exactly, which is why Michigan at seven is the biggest joke on this list. May, um, second biggest joke. Florida at eight great. is the biggest joke. Michigan at seven. We saw this last year. They lost three games. They come out. Everyone thinks, "Oh my God, Jim Harbaugh's finally figured it out." Let me tell you, he has not figured it out. At all. I mean, Shea Patterson is very inconsistent. I want they lost their there. whole defense, too. Yeah. Well, I think the problem with Michigan is you look at them. Everyone talks about the players that are returning. I think one of the problems is a player that's returning in Shea Patterson, a quarterback, was a weakness for them in those biggest games. Yeah. So how much better is this Michigan team from last year? I don't, we've talked about this before on the show. We don't think they're the best team in the Big Ten. No. I don't think I'd have them in the top ten. 
There's no the way AP, they would be in my top And team. they're at seven. You lose Rashawn Gary, Chase Winovich. You lose Devin, Devin Bush. Bush. I mean, they lost so many yeah. key players. And I know, like we've said with the other teams, yeah, you're, you're a blue blood. You should be able to recruit well. But we just haven't seen Harbaugh do that well. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see Dylan McCaffrey. But even like Kron Higdon wasn't a big name as a draft prospect. He was their whole offense last year. They do have three great receivers in Peebles, Jones, Black, and Collins. But if you don't have a guy that consistently can get you the ball, none of that matters to me. So Michigan's overrated at seven. Florida at eight. I don't, I don't know. I think Florida loses Saturday night. Another, We're going to talk about so, that. With I don't know. As well. They're going to be out of the top 10 one week after being in the top well, they're 10. They're another one of those teams where you look at the quarterback situation. We've heard so much about Felipe Franks for years. I don't know how much better he's gotten over those years. I mean, I could tell you he hasn't gotten, he hasn't gotten that much right. better. Is he going to take a big leap this year? Are we ever going to see Emory Jones fill into that quarterback role? Because Florida has a lot of talent on defense. They have a couple of running backs that can carry the load. That's true. But as we've seen in college football, you're only as good, like the NFL, as as far as your quarterback can take you. And that's why Alabama and Clemson are one. Exactly. And I, yeah, I just I don't think Florida's that good. And what you just said leads perfectly into Notre Dame being nine. I know, like Brian Kelly proved me wrong last year. I didn't think they deserved to be in the top fifteen. They ended up in the top ten. Ian Book saved their season, but now they lose Dexter Williams. They lose Jerry Tillery. They lose Drew Tranquil. They lose Julian Love at corner. They've lost so yep. much. A couple wide receivers. But yeah, and the offensive line is going to be very good, especially in the middle. They always are, but I don't know if Ian Book is the guy where I'm like, oh, God, this is a top 10 college quarterback. I mean, he's, he's okay, but I think this just is Notre Dame, and I know you're a Notre Dame fan, so I'm sorry. Barely anymore. Barely anymore. <laughs> I know that this is just like Notre Dame getting the, the fighting Irish bump. No, they're, they're a legacy brand, and that happens yeah. in college football all the time. I mean, you're talking about Ohio State being at five, Notre Dame being in the top ten. A lot of that. So let's talk about some of the teams that aren't those kind of brands that get left out every year. Well, Utah. I have a big problem with Utah not being in the top ten. They're a great football team. And they're going to win the Pac-12. And Kyle Whittingham is one of the best coaches in college football, but they don't get the love because they're not a blue blood. You think of the Pac-12, it's USC, UCLA, Washington maybe, Washington State even. Utah is the best team out there. They should be in the top 10. And you guys can call me a homer all you want. My Texas Longhorns should be sixth. <laughs> I mean, sixth. Let's see week one against LSU first. Well, week one's Louisiana Tech, so we're okay there. Real week well, one. Last year, Not week one, they week lost one. to Maryland. Yeah. So who knows what's going to happen. But yeah. I, I know I, I, I really do. I mean, you have Sam Ellinger. You have Colin Johnson. You have Keontae Ingram. Maybe the best safety duo in college yes, football. Yes, absolutely. I think so, personally. Yeah, with Brandon Jones and Caden Stern. I think they're the best safety duo in college and football. And if you even want to play the, well, what did they do last? Well, they beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. That's what they did last and almost won the Big 12. I mean, they split with Oklahoma last year. I just personally don't see the difference between Oklahoma and Ohio State and Texas. Other than Texas, I think, has the better quarterback. That's fair. Well, I do think everybody has their eyes on Justin Fields in Ohio State because yeah. of Ryan Day. It's the yeah. Ryan Day is now getting the uh, Lincoln Riley effect, yeah. where whoever's playing quarterback there and Fields is talented. We know that, but whoever's playing quarterback there, people are betting on their success. Yeah, we want to know who you guys think is overrated, who's underrated, who didn't make the cut that should have. Who you laying some money on? Who, yeah, who I mean, we come on, we're some at money on. Palace. I'm I'm gonna either be rich or very broke when we leave here this week. Like, you know, I'm gonna, I've seen the, the odds for Texas. I'm going to throw some money down. <laughs> well, none, because, of the, none of the meals are on your tab. So exactly, I think it's going right? Somewhere so else. how much would I spend on booze in a normal week? That's how much I, I'm betting on Texas. All right, let's go to break, Connor. When we come back, we have the man from the U, Clinton Portis. 
All right, Connor, we are back. And like we said at the top of the show, I'm very excited because we got to hang out with this dude for a while backstage. And I eventually had to walk away from talking to him because we were using we're all doing the whole show. stories. Like, oh, let's talk about this when we get outside and people can hear us. But I'm very excited to welcome Clinton Portis to the Stick to Football show. And people who are listening to this and not here with us at Caesars don't know, a wall just slid up and Clint walked out of it. I was waiting on the smoke. They just said they were going to do this like my UM day. So where's the smoke? Did you feel like a wrestler? Like walking out a little bit? I didn't know what to expect. I thought people were going to be jumping around and eager (laughs) to see me. It was like, oh, it's just him. Yeah, it's it's not Frank Gore. It's just Clinton Porter. Sorry, guys. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all good to you. Yeah. We want to ask you, though, uh, if you've been keeping up with it, Zeke Elliott, you know, the holdout's going on, and Jerry Jones comes out today and is like, Zeke who? So if Daniel Snyder had ever pulled that move with you, what would you have said? So Daniel Snyder brought in Sean Alexander, Larry Johnson, <laughs> Willie Parker. Uh, he brought in a lot of competition for me. So it's just part of business. You know, when I saw that, it's, it's interesting because that's going to be a topic on the show tomorrow. Uh, because I read the response from Zeke and his agent saying we didn't think it was funny. But for Zeke to give another guy this opportunity, him to capitalize, all of a sudden it kind of devalues Zeke. You know, you got a rookie come out behind this offensive line and they're excelling. All of a sudden, that's not good for your cause. Although I think Jerry Jones will pay Zeke anyway. As a player, what is it like when there are guys in that running back room that you go, okay, he's talented, I'm going to have to work a little harder or I should be there right now? Does it put you on edge at all or never really like that? All my life I had to compete, man. So, uh, you know, looking at that running back's room in Miami when I had uh, James Jackson, Najee Davenport, Willis McGahee, Frank Gore, Jared Payton to go into the NFL. I got Terrell Davis, Mike Anderson, Orlandis Gary to go into the Washington Redskins. I got Liddell Betts, Rock Cartwright. We bring in Sean Alexander. We bring in Larry Johnson. We bring in Willie Parker. We bring in TJ Duckett. Like, I've always had to compete, and I've always been willing to compete. I think that's missing in sports because you have to understand there's always another guy that's looking for this opportunity. So, you got to go out and capitalize. For myself, it was just knowing I'm going to prevail at the end of the day. You mentioned all the competition you had when you were at Miami. Outside of yourself, who was the most talented of those guys? Because, I mean, I think people forget what Willis was like before injuries. But you could say the same thing about Frank. Well, you forget what Frank was like before injuries. So, um Frank was Frank to this day is a grown man. I've always been a huge fan of Frank Gore's uh, pre-injury. You know, Frank was probably the first guy I ever seen come out. And, you know, we everyone puts on cleats and pants. He didn't put on underwear. He didn't have any pads, no gloves on, no socks and some cleats. I'm like, this dude is a different kind of tough. So. To look at guys like that, you know, Ed Reed just got inducted into the Hall of Fame. One of my favorite athletes, favorite players, favorite teammates of all time. You look at Andre Johnson, another guy who had those same uh, attributes. You know, he's going to go into the Hall. Reggie Wayne, you know, we had so much talent. Sean T, um, we had so much talent. Santana, that it was just unbelievable. Philip Buchanan, one of my favorite athletes, um, only person I ever seen guard Santana Moss in the slot. You know, having that, you know how hard it is to run behind Santana Moss and he bat the ball down and walk off like it's nothing. So having so many guys around playing with all of these guys, 
It was just like, you know what? You have to find your lane. You have to find your niche. You have to find something to allow you to go out and compete with them every day. So what was your niche? What made you different from the McGahees, the Davenport? Mindset. It was no, I wasn't going to quit. So mine, we're, I'm challenging you in everything. Who going to drink these three waters first? <laughs> I'm willing to take a jump it. shot from here. Like whatever it was, the competition side of it. So for me, I was always willing to compete. Everything was competition to me. And, you know, if I lose, it, it makes you even more, you know, like I want more. So uh, it's like being a degenerate in gambling. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's no stopping point. It's I want more. And, and I think that was my niche. Something, you know, we talked about before the show is that with the transfer portal now, some of that's gone. Guys have the option. To, you don't get the job. You transfer. You enter the, you enter the portal. At the U, when you played with so many talented players at your own position, that wasn't an option. Just, you know, what is the difference? You know, how can you keep so many good running backs, so many good players? And how did that make you guys so much better without having that transfer portal option now? Well, again, I think you look at the competition level and guys were made different at that at that stage. You didn't have an option. You know, you look at guys that go to the U, you don't have many options. It's, I got to make it in this or I'm going to lead the wrong life. You know, you don't really have it's coming out of impoverished neighborhoods. It's having that mindset that I have to feed the family. So when you get to UM, everyone has to wait their turn. Ezra and James had to wait. James Jackson had to wait. Najee Davenport had to wait. So that entitlement, when we got guys who came in entitled, they didn't last long. You know, they didn't they didn't last because you didn't have the right mindset. You got to come here and compete because every position is stacked. Every position is waiting on the guy to slip up. And you don't want to say, oh, I hope this guy get injured. But if this guy get injured, you need to be ready to step in. Whereas in today's society, it's, hey, you know what, if I'm not the starter, if I'm not giving this job, I'm going somewhere else. And every place that you can possibly go has a, a guy that's in your position already, a guy that's trying to compete. You look at all the uh, guys that transfer, you know, you look at Alabama quarterback going to Oklahoma, starting quarterback, Jalen Hearns uh, announced today. You look at the kid from Georgia, Fields, going to Ohio State, starting quarterback, Tate Martell going to Miami at from Ohio State. He wasn't the starter. You know, he wasn't announced the starter. So you got to compete. You got to find your lane. You got to say, you know what? I'm going to get my mind ready. I'm going to be mentally ready for if anything happens. Who's to say Williams is going to survive? Who's to say Williams is going to come out and have an outstanding season? They could easily say, oh, maybe this was a bad decision. Let's move on. You got to be ready. Yeah, and I want to get to some of the Miami stuff in a little bit, but do you think that's something that guys struggle with once they get to the NFL now? Like, because in college, like you've probably been the dude since Pee Wee, and you get to the NFL and you actually have to compete for the first time and face some adversity. Well, even uh, how in you- the NFL, they're giving guys they're giving guys jobs in the NFL due to draft or you know free agency. It's no competition really. Everyone is kind of slated. Once you see a big move happen, he's going to be the guy. You know what I mean? So. Guys are are so entitled because everyone is saying, oh, well, okay, we just drafted you. We got to play you. It's like Dwayne Haskins, who's a great talent, but you got Case Keenum that you brought in via trade because because Alex Smith went down. All of a sudden, you draft Dwayne Haskins, who hasn't made a play, has a great upside, and it's like, well, Dwayne Haskins should be starting week one. Should Dwayne Haskins be starting week one? Is Dwayne Haskins ready? I think... For myself, the caliber of player I was coming out of college, I got my first opportunity to start 
week four or five. And that was playing running back. So imagine putting a quarterback on the field who hasn't been in a pro set, who hasn't played a lot of football, and you're putting him on the field in week one against a tough schedule, your biggest opponent. You know, you're playing the Philadelphia Eagles, who great at confusing young quarterbacks. Why would you put him in that position? Obviously, you were a second-round pick, and you did a great career in Miami. You know, you run a blazing kind of 40. You have the speed there. And a second round's great, but you should have been a first-round pick. Is that something that motivated you in the NFL from day one where you were – and you showed everyone real quick because you had a phenomenal rookie year. But is that something where you're, you're not a first-rounder? You're not given that starting job. Well, I was so motivated because all of my teammates, right, my Ed Reed, Jeremy Shockey, Brian McKinney, uh, Philip Buchanan, Mike Rump, they all went in the, in the first, first round. round. Yeah. And these were guys that I competed with on the daily. These was my road dogs. I trained with these guys. And I come out and I felt like – hey, you know what, I've done everything possible to put myself in position to be the first running back off the board. And my head coach go draft William Green, another running back from Boston (laughs) College. So it was like a slap in the face. All of a sudden I come into the NFL and I'm angry. You know, I remember my first call with Mike Shanahan and I said, you know what, I promise you I'm going to win rookie of the year. And he was like, yeah, kid, just come in and be the best shoe you can be. Don't worry about winning rookie of the year. You know, and I'm like, I'm going to be rookie of the year. If you go back and you look at that draft class, Julius Peppers was the number two pick. Ed Reed, I think, was the number 24 pick. Myself at 51. Those are the top three players out of that class, if you ask me. Ed Reed in the Hall of Fame. Julius Peppers, as soon as he hang it up, he's going to the Hall of Fame. You look at my stats. Bro, I don't care what people say. When you look at my sack, the purity as a running back, it's hard to find someone tougher. It's hard to find someone who put up those numbers. In nine years, I had six years over 1,300 yards, right? Now, the number one guy in the NFL, like 1,200 yards rushing. And it's, oh, this is the best back of all time. So, You think you should be in the hall? I think the numbers are there, right? Um, Again, nine years, you look at my stats – I got hurt three years. The three years that I got hurt were the three years that I didn't go over 1,300 yards. So if you're saying in six years I put up 1,300 yards times six, I think those are some hell of a stats, yeah. right? Um, but that's on you. That's on, that's up to the voters. I, I did the work. I feel like a Hall of Famer. I'm going to be a Hall of Famer regardless of ever getting a yellow jacket or ever getting the credit or someone saying, hey, you made it. I got traded for a Hall of Famer in Champ Bailey. That's a, a I got Hall of Famer traded and for a second round pick. Exactly. Don't so forget that. <laughs> I'll always feel confident in my ability and put me up against anybody. Me and my prime, uh, a healthy Clint Portis, a healthy 26 against anybody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet on me. And you had a legendary rookie season, and we just saw one of those at running back with Saquon Barkley. Did it get easier after that or harder because the expectations are set so ridiculously high from the get-go well for saquon man saquon is a is a one in a lifetime uh challenge it was like reggie bush when he came out uh when you look at these guys and uh what they're capable of doing the upside you look at what saquon barkley brings to the game uh himself todd Gurley, like these are these backs are hard to come by in today's society so my fear is that the Giants missed the window of Saquon being dominant because you're you're handing him the ball, you're throwing him the ball. He can do everything. So you don't want to miss that window. Uh, you just traded OBJ, and 
the talent that you had. So it's kind of a rebuild for the Giants on the low without saying rebuild. And five or six years, you know, all of a sudden, Saquon, that speed, that explosiveness, being able to jump over guys' head, it changes. So how long do a running back keep sustain that level of play because injuries are going to kick in at some point? So I have the perfect follow-up for that. Le'Veon Bell just took a year off. Do you think it'll be beneficial for him or it'll hurt him? I do. I I wish he would have took that year off and got the fifteen million from Pittsburgh. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. If he would have picked up those fifteen, he comes in feeling like I just got over. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we all know um, that. compared to feeling like I have to prove myself. But Le'Veon, to have that year rest, you the, what makes it hard is when you take off from football and you go be a normal person or you be, become a family man, it's hard to have that same mindset that the mindset that you need to go out and be a gladiator, be a warrior, be competitive all the time because you get used to life. You realize what life is as a normal human being instead of a superstar with expectations. So um, for Le'Veon going to this market, I think he feels as if he has so much to prove that he's going to go to New York. You got Sam Dornham. You got Robbie Anderson. That's an explosive offense. Jamison Crowder, another good player. So I think Le'Veon go and put up good numbers. It's just the defense has changed. You know, you look at the Jets, it's New England, it's, it's Miami, it's Buffalo. It's going to be tough to play those teams. It's going to be tough. So not saying that he didn't come from playing the Ravens and tough defenses already, but it's hard to sustain for such a long time. You mentioned Mike Shanahan earlier, and that was one of the things we really wanted to talk to you about. What's your relationship with him like, or what was it like? And with Kyle as well, he's head coach of the Niners now. They haven't been as successful as maybe some people thought. What, what's your relationship with the Shanahan's like? Well, I, Kyle wasn't there. Kyle was at, at Texas when I was playing. So Coach Kubiak, who was my offensive coordinator, went on to the Texas. So I've always been on staffs that just – you know, went went their separate uh, separate ways. But Coach Shanahan was a person who made me realize or believe of my abilities because I knew what I was capable of. But I remember having a conversation with Coach Shanahan. He said, son, you could be the first uh, running back to get paid $20 million. At the time, it was Curtis Martin who had got $12 million. He said, you should be the first running back to get paid $20 million. And that stopped our conversation because I was going in and say, hey, you know what? I outplayed my contract. He was like, I could give you another three million. You're coming right back in at the end of this season, want more money. So I, I appreciate Coach Shanahan for that. You know, giving me the opportunity, drafting me. I walked out of my draft me with the Denver Broncos because they had Terrell Davis, they had Mike Anderson, they had Orlando's Gary. Bro, it's it's midnight. What what are we talking about? You got three thousand yard rushers on your roster. You're you not taking out? me. Yeah, I was sleepy. No, and they sure. ended up drafting me. You fell asleep in the draft meeting with the Broncos. No, I didn't fall asleep. I just said, what are we talking about? Like Bobby T, who was my, my running backs coach, one of my favorite coaches of all time, along with Coach Solinger, because it's your position coach that you formed a bond with. So me and Bobby T still talk all the time. Me and Coach Solinger still talk. So Bobby T, I'm sitting trying to talk to Bobby T, and I can't keep my eyes open. Like, it's a long day when you go to the draft. You yeah. guys go down to Mobile. You got to do the interviews, the weigh-ins, the workouts, and all of this. Hey, it, you're just – it's a showcase. I'm like, bro, I'm sleepy. I'm tired. You're not drafting me. Let me go to my room. And they was like, okay, like go to your room. And they ended up drafting me. 
So what was it like when that phone rang and they did? Were you honestly shocked, disappointed because of all the people there? You know or? what? I was so disappointed when the phone uh, when the phone finally rung. I wasn't even watching the draft. I was on the road. Like I was in my car. I didn't know where. Like I didn't know anything. I didn't know what pick I was. I didn't know who drafted me. I just got the phone call. And it was like, hey, we just turned in your name. Coach Shanahan wants to talk to you. I answered the phone. It's, Thank you. You know what I mean? We pulled over for me to tell the rest of my family I had been drafted by the Denver Broncos. And, again, I told Coach Shanahan, I said, bro, I promise you I'm going to win rookie of the year. Like, I promise you I'll be the best player in this draft. And he was like, oh, yeah, just come in and be the best you you can be. And, I mean, the rest we see history. what happened. Why yeah. do you think you fell in the draft? Like you said, William Green went in the first round. Uh, it, what was what's his crazy like? is William Green failed the drug test at Combine. <laughs> he felt like, honestly, when you look at this situation, the three backs that went in front of me, William Green, Deshaun Foster, TJ Duckett, combined, I have more yards, more carries, more touchdowns, more knockouts, like, than all three of them combined. So I don't know how I fell in the draft. Everyone said I was too cocky. And – that was really the knock on me, the confidence. I was 20, you know, so they felt like I was going to have a wild side or I was going to be a firecracker. I never got into any trouble, never did anything wrong, never did drugs. Like, you never had that worry. I've always been reliable. I've always been a man of my word up front. You don't have to chase me. In our conversation, it's either I'm going to do it or I'm not. And I think as a man, that's the, that's the attitude you should have. And I think there's more coaches nowadays that are more open to a player like that. You look at Sean McVay, the way the Rams draft, right? I mean, it feels like as the coaching gap gets younger. I mean, Bengals just hired a coach that is like McVay in his 30s. Do you think that helped change? And Jalen Ramsey was a top five pick, and everybody knew how confident or cocky he was. It was no problem. Well, I think it's a difference. You look at Miami guys and the knock on Miami guys from being flamboyant and, you know, being being staples, like being hard, you know, hard on who they are and knowing who they are and determined to do things their way. Ezra and James with the gold teeth and the dreads. And, right. Oh, you're not you're you're never going to get um, you're never going to be on the front page. He's on all kind of front pages. Another future Hall of Famer out of the U. It's, it's kind of Miami guys did it their way. And it was a knock forever. And all of a sudden, the media opened up to what Miami was doing. And now guys got swag from every school. You get a guy from a Juco, and he has more (laughs) swag than anybody. You get a guy, you know, who hasn't made any plays. So now everyone in the NCAA has swag. Every team, you know, you look at the U, bring out the chain. Now you got teams carrying bats and breaking this. The U is a trendsetter. And they're always before their time. And then someone else gets to make it cool. You know, when I put the belt on on the sideline, I got criticized for it. And it was, oh, this guy is, he's selfish and the attention is about him. I just scored five touchdowns in the game. <laughs> yeah, better be want. about me. I yeah. can put the belt on. Right. But when Aaron Rodgers put the belt on, it's, oh, that is so cool. Yep. Like, this guy double Farm check. He, yeah, right. he got another check from it. So, yeah. you know, it, it's just timing. And, for UM guys, we do things before everyone else. We're always above the curve. We're trendsetters. We're not guys who come in and follow trends and, you know, tag alongs. We're guys who you look at the, the transition from college to NFL. Uh, we were talking about backstage running back you or DBU or wide receiver you. 
And these universities that they put up, Alabama is running back you with Sean Alexander, Derrick Henry, and Mark Ingram. Well, myself, Edron James, and Frank Gore all went over 8,000 yards in the NFL. We're not even in the top five. Nah, That's crazy, be. right? Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah. And I mean, and like guys like McGahee, who McGahee, had a good career. Another guy who went over 8,000. Yeah. Otis Anderson, the only school with five 8,000 yard rushers ever. And we're not even in the top five. We will call you running back you from now on. Uh, stick to football, Miami's running back you. <laughs> Guaranteed. Um, I did want to ask you one more NFL question before we talk about the U. When you got traded, and for people who don't remember, we have some young listeners. You were traded for Champ Bailey and a second-round pick. That became Tatum Bell. Right. Um, so when I got traded, it all happened so quick. Adam Schefter is the reason I got traded. Thanks, and Schefter. It was, it was an interview what I did at Pro Bowl with Adam Schefter asking me about coming back to Denver or holding out, which I knew nothing about. And I never come in and I say, man, that's up to my agent. My agent was Drew Rosenhaus. I said, man, that's up to my agent. My agent will work all of that out. I plan to be here. And for some reason, an hour later, I'm sent to the bar at Pro Bowl. Uh, myself, Donovan McNabb, Peyton Manning, uh, and, and uh, Porter, Joey Porter, were sitting to the bar eating chicken wings and drinking. And it was like breaking news on ESPN. So everyone is like, who got in trouble? What happened? And it break like Clint Porter's wants out of Denver. Yeah, I'm looking around like, who is Clint Porter? I didn't, ask, <laughs> I didn't ask to leave Denver. So it went from Pro Bowl to Pro Bowl is, is where the first mention came to two weeks later, come by at Indy and I get the phone call. Hey, they're willing to trade you. So it was only one team I was willing to go to that didn't have a first round pick that didn't pass over me in the draft. That was the Washington Redskins. And I told Drew, I said, you know what? The only place I'll go, the only team that didn't pass over me in the draft was the Washington Redskins because they, they traded their first-round pick. They drafted Patrick Ramsey in the second round. So I didn't feel like they, my issue was not going in the first round. Everyone else passed over me. Washington Redskins had just got Coach Gibbs. So I'm going to call you back. Let's, let me go talk to the organization see if we can get it done. I got the call back. It was like, okay, this is really about to happen. And then I got a call from Denver saying, hey, we're going to get Champ Baylor regardless. You know, we were trying to show you that the running back market wasn't what it was. We kind of stuck our foot in our mouths, but we understand if you want to leave. And at that time, I'm, I mean, I'm 20, 21 in Denver. And it was like I've done everything I possibly can in Denver. And I wanted a new opportunity. I wanted an opportunity to lead an organization, to carry an organization. And I think that's what I did. So when I hear people say, oh, well, Champ Bailey went to the Hall of Fame and Clint Porter's wasn't worth it. I'm second in an organization. I'm the second all-time leading rusher behind Riggins. And you're saying that's not worth it? Are you like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And also them saying the running back market wasn't, you know, whatever they thought. You signed a mega deal in Washington. So uh, does that help make the transition easier, or is there still a little bitterness when you're making that transition? Like, oh, man, money always trade makes a star. Transition. All right. Yeah. Money always <laughs> that kind makes of money. transition equal. Uh, but for one, I was a Champ Bailey fan as a kid. You know, watching Champ at Georgia, playing both ways, being a return man. So 
it was a fascination to me. Like, I got traded for Champ Bailey. I didn't know who the second-round pick would be. You know what I mean? So to get traded for Champ Bailey to forever be mentioned, anytime they mention Champ Bailey, you got to say he went from, from D.C. to Denver for Clint Portis, right? So I got to always be in a conversation. But just to have that opportunity for me, being a huge fan of Champ growing up, like – Everyone emulated him or Dion. Like those were the guys that you Charles Woodson. Like those were the guys you wanted to be. Oh, I'm I'm Charles Woodson with the number two on. I'm Champ Bailey. So to be traded for him was huge. Let's talk about Miami. Uh, let's just they're ranked outside the top ten for now. I think that's going to change Saturday. Do you think they're back? Do you think Manny Diaz is the right guy to get this team back? And how does it feel rooting for a dude that went to Florida State? Because that's a little messed up. Things have changed so much, right? You're so rooted. But once you get – once you're removed and and you get an opportunity to see how this coaching carousel work and guys just bounce around, the same guys bounce around uh, in Staple, I think think Manny Diaz bring an energy to Miami that's been missing for quite some time. It's it's like reinventing Miami, reinventing you, bringing that old swagger back with a new – in a new way, you know, the, the new Miami um, is a new motto, the new era. So the way they do things at Miami, they're having fun again. And that's normally the case to something positive. Now, you start losing, it's hard to have fun when you're losing. But I think he's bringing in guys that's buying into Miami and buying into Miami ways. And you're keeping local kids that grew up knowing what, the glory days was like instead of going to California or going to Michigan and going to Chicago or New York to find players, you're, you're getting your caliber guys right from your home state and you're going to turn this program around. So you got a tough test on Saturday, but it's a test that I think you can overcome because if these guys get the right mindset and just go out and compete, that's what you want to do. You want to have a great showing win, lose or draw because it's hard to go 13 or 14 to know in college football. Now, one of the greatest teams I was on, we lost to Washington. That wasn't a team we were supposed to lose to, but we did. We learned a valuable lesson in losing that game. So to look at Miami, have this opportunity to open up against the university of Florida, you got to go out there and compete. If it's a close game that lets you know, Miami is doing his job. If they win this game that propels Miami back to the top. You know, that puts them back to the to the destination in Florida, right? So you want to have this. I just seen they started a new series, a home at home with Miami and Florida. That's great for Florida football because now Florida State, Miami, and UF all get to play each other. So you could say, hey, you know what? I'm the king of Florida. This is where you want to be. You're the state champ. Yeah. yeah, I'm the king. If you're the state champ of Florida, you're normally in contention for something big. What was it that made you choose Miami? You know, I went on all of my visits. I went on my visits, and the place that I realized this locker room is where I'm going to be accepted. This locker room is the locker room I need to be in. These are the caliber guys that I need to compete with and be around was Miami. It it wasn't one of those situations where coaches sell you a dream because my position coach told me, he said, hey, look, if you want to come to the University of Miami, I'll recruit you. If not, hey, go somewhere else. And he walked out. It was that simple. It wasn't one of those, let me sell you this, let me pitch you this. He was straight up. He was honest. So 
I, I'm looking like Coach Sala just, just just talked to me like I wasn't even important. But it was brutal. It was honest. And then I go on my visit, and Edron James, who's a close friend of mine, is the first guy, you know, he's coming off of the big game against UCLA. And Coach Solinger had said to me, he said, well, I think my guy is going to jump Ricky Williams in the draft. And I'm like, there's no way Edron James is going to go before Ricky Williams in the draft. Number four pick to the Indianapolis coach, Edron James. So all of this stuff that's happening is making me a believer. Then I, I go get with a young guy, and we're gambling in the corner. We're arguing back and forth, and this guy turned out to be Santana, Santana Moss. So you can't like you can't ask for a better story. I'm gambling with Santana Moss. Like we in the corner shooting dice while everybody else talking football or doing whatever. This is a locker room that accepts me. This is where I fit in. Of all the guys that were in that locker room with you, who are you still closest with? Oh, Santana, man. Santana was was one of my favorite players. Uh, so when you look at having an opportunity to go from college to the NFL, to trade with Santana coming to D.C., having a part in that and, and having played with him, now we're both in broadcasting. Uh, Ezra and James, my right-hand man, we do everything together. So if you're on my IG or you see us, we argue every day. We travel together every week. So uh, Ezra, you know, not having Sean T around anymore, uh, another great friend. You look at Antrell and a lot of the other guys, DJ Williams, Jonathan Vilma, having that camaraderie when you're back in Miami or you're supporting the positivity that guys are doing in the community. Uh, DJ with Dime Life. You see Vilma on TV, Antrell Road doing huge things. So uh, just having that camaraderie, being able to call on these guys, go around these guys, hang out with these guys, Andre Johnson doing big things. So, uh, our crew, you know, I told you we competed in everything we did. So if I go back and I look at my college crew, it was Santana Moss, Roscoe Parrish, Philip Buchanan, Andre Johnson, myself. Like that was that was our college crew. Like those are the five that's rolling. So to look at the success that all of these guys had, to be able to say, you know what, I came out the mud with these guys. Frankie G, I forgot about Frank. To say, you know what, I came up with these guys. I came out the mud with these guys. I'll always support them. I'll always have an appreciation for them. I mean, it's a blessing. One last one for me. How far away do you think Miami is from being back in the playoff hunt? Like, genuinely. Well, it depends on this quarterback. Because if this quarterback is is legit, well, you're going to lose the defense. You're going to lose the whole linebacking core. They're up after this year. They they don't have any more eligibility. They can't stay. But – some of the young guys is going to come in, you know, for myself, I remember coming to college and, and feeling like we could never replace Nate Webster and we can't replace Dan Morgan. And all of a sudden you get Jonathan Vilma and DJ Williams. Yeah. And it's like, uh, <laughs> these guys are pretty good <laughs> as well. So you can replace those guys. So it kind of depend on your quarterback position because you can go out and get skill positions. And I think you have some solid running backs, DJ Dallas. Uh, you look at this kid, how tough he is to transition, uh, how vocal he's been in getting guys to come to the University of Miami. Uh, you look at the talent. It's just about keeping everyone there because Miami probably could have already been back. If you think back to Lamar Miller and Olivier Vernon yeah. and leaving school early, 
when Duke Johnson class was coming in. So imagine Lamar Miller and Duke Johnson teaming up in college instead of now finally in tennis, I mean, in Houston. So our guys, every time we have an opportunity, it's like our core leaves early. So you got to get guys who's going to stick around. I think Quarterman and, and those guys staying in school this year gives gives you a plus because they could have all left for the draft and they stayed in school, which helps the school out a lot because now you can mold the young guys. They see who to look up to, how to carry some, how to carry themselves and transition the team once it's in their control. Last one for me. Uh, we established that Miami is running back you. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's the greatest running back to come out of the University of Miami? Frankie G. I mean, he's going to be the NFL's all, all-time leading oh, rusher. That's, that's simple. <laughs> right? Who, that's simple. Frankie G. I would say Edge, right? But that would seem biased because me and Edge are friends. But Edge laid a foundation for yeah. every position. Like, if you're talking about a supportive individual, a, a true leader, um, a guy who's inside and out, you know, honest, always supporting the community work, being a father, on and off the field, whatever it is, Edge is going to tr- check uh, A-plus in every box. So, for me, we're all learning from Edge how to be professionals. Everybody that ever came out of the University of Miami uh, after Ezra and James, Ed Reed, Santana, myself, Reggie, Sean T., everyone reached back to tap into the knowledge of Ezra and James. You look at Frankie G., Frankie G was under me. So Frankie G tapped into me, but I tapped into Edge. So it's hard for me to say, well, although Frankie G in in yards and career-wise should probably be the hands-down favorite, he's one of my favorite players, but I would say Edge or Frankie G. Yeah, that's a good answer. Edge is raw talent. I don't know if he gets Edge appreciated grown enough. man talent. Right? I don't think we'll ever be appreciated. And, yeah. and that's what's crazy because – it wasn't – we didn't do it the way that they wanted us to do it. We did it our way, and we were successful our way. So a lot of the opportunities that came came from that, you know, like you, we weren't chosen for it. It was like, oh, yeah, we're going to go with this guy. Cool, but you can't take the numbers away. Right. You can't take the stats away. You can't – when you go turn on the – when you go turn on the video, I guarantee you there was never a defensive coordinator – a defensive coordinator that I face that say, oh, you know what? We don't have to worry about 26. We don't have to worry about CP. We don't have to worry about Edge. We don't have to worry about Frankie G. We were always the focal points. We didn't have, oh, we're going to throw the ball 50 times. It was, you know what? You're going to get the ball 30 times in a cloud of dust, and I need you to somehow, some way, carry this team to victory. You have a podcast that, that you do, a Watch the Redskins podcast. 26 minutes. So 26 minutes, you find all the real talk, all the real conversation. My partner, Monica McNutt, uh, who actually was the ones who told me that you all were doing this uh, out here in Vegas. So big shots to Monica McNutt and my whole team back at um, back in D.C. with 26 minutes. But, yeah, go check it out. 26 minutes, man, I think it's some good conversation. Much like you all, we talk everything, we discuss everything. Uh, Monica is huge on basketball. She, and I'm huge. I'm a huge NBA fan. So we talk all platforms. We talk everything that's going on. You get 26 to 30 minutes of just raw, uncut honesty. Honestly. Yeah. Well, we loved having you on, dude, and we can't thank you enough for the time because it's been awesome. Hey, no problem, man. Anytime. 
Come back anytime. It's Vegas. It's yeah. easy to convince people. <laughs> we will people. be back. Hey, it's easy to convince people to come on. Right. Vegas. Do you want to come to Vegas and like play some golf, gamble, uh, have fun? All of that. Easy sell. All of that. Easy sell. Easy we do sell. appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Hey, no problem. Thank you all for having me. All right, guys. I want to say thanks again to Clinton Portis for coming out, hanging out with us. We will be at Caesars Palace all week, hanging out in the Caesars Palace Sportsbook. There's a beautiful BR set. Connor will be here Wednesday for another show. We'll be here Friday for another show. We'll be here Saturday for our college football kickoff event at noon Pacific time. Me, you, and Mello talking college football, taking questions from our listeners. So if you're in the Vegas area, come out. And again, remember, shows are coming out a little bit different this week, sure. as you may have noticed. So Wednesday afternoon, Friday afternoon, you'll get new stick to football. So yeah, keep sending us questions. We have a lot more surprise, exciting guests. Uh, Clinton Portis is obviously amazing, awesome, and it's, it's only going to even go up from here. It's going to be amazing. So, right. you know, we'll catch you guys in a couple days. Absolutely. That's our show. We'll talk to you on Wednesday.